So there's several questions that we have today, and there's a couple things I want us to consider. Is Number one is why Jesus wants us to look more at the supernatural than the natural. I do believe it's a time that he's really encouraging us, part of our growth, part of our maturing is understanding that we have two worlds that we live in. We live in a natural world, and then we live in a spiritual world that is a supernatural world. And he's wanting us to train our eyes and our spiritual ears, spiritual eyes to see what he's doing, but to live in that world as well, number one. Number two is why thankfulness, why thankfulness for what we have starts the process of a miracle. Think about that one for more. Thankfulness for what we have as we're moving into Thanksgiving, that's a good one for us to think about. Also, why it's okay not to give in to people's expectations. For some of those people pleasers, this is a good one for you. How many people feel like there may be a people pleaser a little bit, right? You can't say no, they asked me. All right, we're going to talk about that. And then we'll be talking about why the struggle, why we struggle and how to make the struggle end. Anybody currently in a struggle? You don't need to raise your hand, but anybody currently? I've already talked to some of you today. Life is hard. Life is hard. And then finally, and why if we only see the natural, you might think Jesus is promoting cannibalism. (laughs) Okay, there's a fun one for you. We know that Jesus is not promoting cannibalism, but he does say some really weird things in John chapter 6, and we'll get there together. Okay, John chapter 6, if you have your Bibles, open it up to um, John chapter 6. If you don't have a physical Bible, you can turn to your phones. You can look at our Grace Capital Church app. Go into the more section. You'll find the Bible, and you can follow along there. We're going to start right here. After this, Jesus went away to the other side of the Sea of Galilee, also known as the Sea of Tiberias, which is the Sea... Oh, it says it right there, the Sea of Tiberias. And a large crowd was following him because they saw the signs that he was doing on the sick. Jesus went up uh, on the mountain, and there he sat down with his disciples. Now the Passover, the feast of the Jews was at hand, lifting up his eyes, then and seeing the large crowd that was coming toward him, Jesus said to Philip, important question, Jesus always asks those important questions, where are we to buy bread so that these people may eat? Interesting, Jesus asks the question, where we should buy the bread? So then he said to, and by the way, he said this to test him, and for he himself knew what he was going to do. So a couple things right in here. Right out of the gate, Jesus feeds the 5,000. By the way, it's 5,000 men. You add women and children in there. It's a big multitude. Um, Some would say how much it would cost. It probably would be a half year's wages for somebody to provide that. So asking the question was probably... Um, he was testing Philip, like, what, are you, what is he going to say? Immediately, Jesus is already beginning this journey to help prepare his disciples to start thinking about not only the natural, but looking at the supernatural. Too often, especially us in New England, we're good old diehard Yankees, right? We're, we're like, we will do it ourselves. And that attitude, as much as we feel noble in it, really prevents us from God doing a great work in and through our lives. 
Because Jesus actually wants to perform the miracle, but he asks us to do it by not looking at the natural around us. Remember, we live in two worlds. We live in a natural world, and he says it's impossible to please God without faith. Faith puts us into the spiritual world, which is understanding that God is moving in real tangible ways, and he wants us to join him in that way. And so here he's testing Philip and said, where are we going to get this food? Philip answered him, 200 denarii worth of bread would be enough for each of them to get a little. And Philip, you know, again, very proud that he kind of did the estimation. Well, if there's 5,000 men, that's probably 7,000 or 10,000 men, women, and children. It's probably going to take this much wages. Have you done the math before in your head? Like, you feel so proud of yourself. I can figure it out. Like, price is right. How much is that really worth? But he purely was thinking about the natural, like how, there's no store over here that's going to have enough for everything. And so here Jesus goes. And so, so the men sat down, they were about 5,000 in number. Jesus then took the loaves and when he had given thanks, he distributed them to those who were seated. Do you guys actually, when you sit down to eat, still pray? I know that was always a tradition in my household and and the more I've been thinking about it, we don't always eat around the kitchen table anymore, but we try to. But there's something about giving thanks before the miracle takes place. That was one of the things we said. Like, what is it about giving thanks? Now, it's not giving thanks. Let me just keep reading, and then we'll talk about giving thanks for what. Jesus then took the loaves. So, yes, so he got five barley loaves and two little fish. And he gave thanks for them. Sometimes, if we're not careful, we can be thinking about what we don't have. And our lack of contentment prevents the miracle that God wants to do when we start to realize that we need to give thanks for what we have. And we give thanks for what we have. He multiplies it to do a miracle. Every single one of you guys are incredibly blessed. And you all have something. This Thanksgiving, I know we're going to gather around our family tables and we're going to give thanks. But it's really, I would encourage you, as before you eat, you just think about this food that you're about to eat. And you say, give thanks for, and then say, God, if you want to use this, now not your physical food, but if you want to use whatever I have to produce a miracle. And you know why it's important that we do that? Because we realize everything we have is actually not ours anyways. It all belongs to him, and, and we're giving thanks for what he has given us, and then giving him permission to use what we have to bless others or provide a miracle. Interestingly enough, it's when we live this way, though, what happens? So the little boy who gave up his five loaves of barley, which wasn't a super high-quality grain, and his two little fish, think of a little sardines, like it wasn't like these big, uh, you know, tuna or something, He's probably two little dried fish. And they went around and gathered up all the leftovers, not the crumbs, but the leftovers, unused things. And there was gathering the leftovers. They gathered 12 baskets of the five, from the five barley loaves and the two little fish. So that's what happens. God wants to do the miracle, but sometimes we hold so tight. We talked about this a few weeks ago, right? We, we can't have what we don't give. 
And so we're trying to learn to live open-handed in, in realizing that God has given us things. And when, we, when we're open with it, the little boy can say, no, Jesus, this is my lunch, mine, <laughs> all right, mine. Can you see him? Like, hey, I want your lunch. No, it's mine. My mom packed it for me. But in many ways, that boy actually had a multiplication of 12 baskets, way more than he ever gave up. And that's a Jesus principle. That's a kingdom of God principle. So the next time you sit down to eat, think about, Lord, everything that I have. Think about the things you have. God, thank you for giving them to me, but they're not mine. If you want to use a miracle, do a miracle through me. I'm willing to give those back to you. But remember that when you allow God to take something or use something that he's already given you, it only provides a multiplication back to you. You never have to be afraid of not having enough. Okay, so here they go on. So, so the people are pretty amazed at Jesus now. He's healed people. He's, he's provided this miraculous sign. And so then it says, verse 15, Perceiving that they were about to come and take him by force to make him king, Jesus withdrew again to the mountain by himself. Again, people were not perceiving Jesus in the right lens. They were looking at the natural when they need to be looking at the spiritual. Remember, they always were thinking about there would be a, a, a king that would come that would overthrow the Roman Empire and the oppression of the Romans. And so they're like, this is the prophet that was foretold so long ago. He's going to be our king. And they're like, Jesus like, oh, my word, guys. You still don't get it. So he withdrew. By the way, Jesus had no problem saying no to people's expectations. Amen. You have permission to say no to people's expectations. Unless you're a child. Then you have to be obedient to mom and dad. <laughs> I know that's what you were thinking, youngsters. <laughs> Pastor Mark said, I can say no to expectation. Except mom and dad. You know, that, by the way, that is that you will receive a blessing when you, when you honor mom and dad and are obedient to them. Right? You guys want a blessing? Yes, you want the blessing. All right, good. All right. So here, here it is. He went off. He's like, like, they're expecting me to be the king. And Jesus like, no, uh, the wrong, wrong kind of king. I am the king of kings, the Lord of lords. But I'm not going to be the kind of king that they're looking for. And so he escaped to the mountain himself. Then he goes, when evening came, his disciples went down to the sea, got into the boat, and started across the sea to Capernaum. Now it was dark, and Jesus had not yet come to them. The sea became rough because a strong wind was blowing. And when uh, they had rowed for about three or four miles, they saw Jesus walking on the sea and coming near the boat, and they were frightened. But he said to them, it is I, do not be afraid. Then they were glad to take him on to the boat, and immediately the boat was on the other land for which they were going. Oh, my word, so much packed in that one little section. There's other, by the way, this is one of the Gospels that talk about this account. So Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, there, there are other writers who talk about this. Jesus actually, in another, another Gospel, it says that Jesus told them to get into the boat. He didn't go with them. He went up around the lake, I don't know, probably... He transported himself because that was a very long walk. But he said, get in the boat and go to the other side. So this is Jesus' recommendation to go to the other side. 
And you would think he would know that there would be this gale force wind going against them. Imagine. Now, some gospels say it was the fourth watch of the night, which means it was probably 3 a.m. in the morning to 6 a.m. in the morning. They had been pretty much rowing for eight hours or so. Imagine that. You are, you are in a boat rowing to get to the other side, and you've been doing that for seven or eight hours. You're exhausted. The struggle is real. The struggle is real. So one of the questions we asked earlier on is why we struggle and how do we make the struggle end? First of all, the struggle is not always a bad thing. Sometimes God works his greatest work in us when we struggle because why? It produces something. And here's what it's going to produce. It produces the way that we view our circumstance and, the, and our, where our attention starts to lead. So they're struggling for eight hours they're not making a lot of progress. They're probably a little bit more than three quarters of the way across the lake. They still have another mile or two to get across the lake, the Sea of Galilee. And here they are, and then Jesus is walking on water. By the way, have you ever tried? I mean, as a kid, I just like, if Jesus can do it, I can do it. Has anybody else tried to walk? I've tried to walk on water. Anybody else? Maybe I'm the only, see, there's a couple. There's a couple. Why not, right? Jesus could do it. He says we're going to do greater things than he did. Has anybody successfully walked on water? <laughs> and not the fake one where you like take a little set up your phone well and like it's just a puddle and it looks like you're walking on water. No, the real thing. But here he goes in the middle of their struggle. And do you not think that Jesus saw his struggle? I think that he saw completely well the struggle. But it's interesting, they were afraid, but, but when they realized not only who it was, but then they invited him into the boat. In the moment they invited him into the boat, their struggle stopped and they immediately got to their destination. There's a spiritual principle here. The struggle is okay. The struggle is okay, but I believe the struggle can come to an end faster when we turn our eyes onto Jesus and invite him into the boat of our struggle. When we invite him into the boat of our struggle, immediately he takes us to our destination and we didn't struggle any longer. The struggle is real. And we don't always say that, well, I've invited Jesus in that struggle and I'm still struggling. But just keep trusting because God's timing is perfect. Keep trusting. But I think sometimes, at least New Englanders, we're so independent, <clears throat> so self-sufficient. We struggle so much longer than we need to <laughs> because we are determined. By golly, I'm determined to do it on my own. Nobody's going to tell me what to do. And meanwhile, Jesus is up there like, okay, keep rowing away. <laughs> How's it going for you? I know that wind's against you. And then you just get so exhausted. I think, you know, it's, it's never fun. I wouldn't want somebody to do this to me, but, when, but I do think sometimes... When people come to their end, it's really their beginning of their delivery because they've stopped trying on their own. And they really allow Jesus 
into the middle of that circumstance, and then Jesus does the miracle for them. I do think it's interesting, though, that it says, and immediately the boat was on the land at which they were going. I wonder what that felt like for, for them. It was just like, whew. I don't know if they went super fast or if they just teleported or, well, like, I just don't know it. They didn't tell us how it happened. It just says immediately. They're still a couple miles away, but boom, they were there. Pretty spectacular. Some of you need to realize that, that God can change a circumstance for you just like that. He can, and, and I think you're losing hope. You're u- losing hope in, in thinking that God can do a miracle in your life, and I don't want you to lose hope. Just keep trusting and then keeping trusting in God's, God's timing and keep inviting him into your boat of your circumstance, of your struggle, of your difficulty. Keep inviting him in and then let him do the miracle for you. You don't need to do this on your own strength. Okay, then Jesus starts to go on to talk about that he is the bread of life. Now, we do know that God provided, and he makes the analogy with Moses. I just love the Old Testament because everything in the Old Testament always points to Jesus. It's always symbolic of, of pointing to Jesus. So when God delivered the children of Israel out of Egypt and put them into the desert, God provided manna, which is like bread from heaven that came out of heaven and fed them every single day. And it was God's provision of sustenance. And now Jesus goes on to say that he is the bread of life. And that he is the sustenance. He goes on to say this. I'm going to start in verse 26. Jesus answered them, Truly, truly, I say to you, you seek me not because you saw signs, but because you ate your fill of loaves. Do not work for the food that perishes, but for the food that endures to eternal life, which the Son of Man will give to you. For on him God the Father has set his seal. Then they said to him, What must we do to be going to the works of God, to be doing the works of God? Sorry. Jesus answered him, This is the work of God that you believe in him whom he has sent. So he's, he's starting to say, okay, you're seeking the miracle, but again, you're missing the point. You need to be seeking the miracle worker, not the miracle. And too often in life, I think we want to be set free from our circumstance and we're looking for the miracle and, and we just are asking for a miracle, but we're really finding the true, the true satisfaction and the true miracle is when we trust Jesus with our lives and invite him into our life. See, they were, they were wanting to follow Jesus. They want him as their king, to throw the Roman Empire. They, they thought, hey, you're going to be like Moses and you're going to provide daily bread. We like this. This is, this is awesome. We no longer have to work. You're just going to feed us all the time. And Jesus says, no, 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 no. You're, again, you're looking in the natural. And sometimes we just get stuck in looking in the natural and God's saying, no, look at the spiritual. I want you to look at the the things that I want to do in and through you. But it starts by this. Eat the food that does not perish. Eat the bread of life that will sustain you. Jesus goes on to say, uh, this is the cannibalism part of it. You need to eat my body and drink my blood. (laughs) And this just absolutely made the Jewish people or, and the religious leaders especially just blow their lid. It's like, who is this guy? 
And I think Jesus purposely, I think Jesus has this great sense of humor. I think he knows how to, how to get people. Like he just always challenges their motivation. He's always challenging their hearts. And, and he's, so he's stating the true thing, but they, they couldn't understand it. They didn't, because they were looking from their natural eyes. If you heard that and, and you were look, literally looking at it from your natural eyes, if somebody was being up right here and saying, you need to eat my body and drink my blood, you'd be like throwing things at me. Well, first of all, it wouldn't be me because then you'd be like heretic. Um, but if that was Jesus standing there and you were not so sure if it was Jesus, you'd be like, who is this nut job? What is he saying to us? I don't think cannibalism is right, right? You know, that seems so pagan looking in the natural, but in the spiritual realize that absolutely he is, remember the word, we need to consume the word. He is the one that satisfies, like we go to eat food, thinking for, for physical satisfaction. And he's saying, this is the, the food you need to be eating for truest satisfaction. And by the way, his blood, we sang about it today. His blood is what, I know sometimes we like, have you ever thought that you're going to invite somebody to church and it's like, I hope they don't sing those blood songs, <laughs> right? Because that might be really weird, the blood songs. But I'm so thankful for his blood that washes us white as snow, that takes care of our sin, that puts us in right relationship with our Father in heaven. So when he says, eat his body, meaning consume his word that gives us life and drink his blood, which means... Take it in, re receive what he has for us, which is salvation through the work on the cross. Then you realize, oh my word, what a gift. Not this weird cannibalism thing, no, but what a gift because it's a spiritual thing that we need to do. And, and so often, I, and I think, you know, you look through these scriptures and you realize that he's wanting us to grow and mature to start seeing things from a, a greater spiritual perspective. We get so locked in and but just looking at natural things. I, I've been thinking about this a little bit. You know, people like the power of positive thinking that maybe Jesus' ways can give. Like the Anthony Robbins kind of Jesus. You know, if, if you have faith and you believe and you trust, not in a person, but belief in belief, if you create your storyboards and if you, you know, just keep your mind on positive thinking and, and keeping yourself positive that somehow the universal laws will work in your favor and, and you, will, you will get someplace positive, right? You'll reap those rewards. Well, it is true. You, you reap what you sow. But, but the reality is, is what Jesus is wanting is he's wanting you to trust in a person in Jesus Christ, not in a philosophy of power of positive thinking or, or a philosophy of um, yin-yang or a philosophy of, you know, you reap what you sow, which is, these are probably true. These are probably true universal laws, but we will still miss the truest satisfaction without inviting Jesus into our life, the bread that he has had to offer and his blood, which has set us free. Because he's saying that is the truest satisfaction to our souls, to our souls. All right. Mr. Tim, he's right on cue. Thank you, Tim.
So I, I just have a few final thoughts in closing. By the way, I want to encourage you. I, I don't get through all of the chapters. There's so much, honestly, I could preach on this for four weeks straight, but we'd never get through the Gospel of John, which probably will take us into the new year. But what Jesus is trying to encourage the people to do in this account is to move from looking to Jesus what they can get from him to just trusting in who he is. See, here it says the work of God is this. Because they asked, what, what do we need to do? It seems like a good question, but again, they're asking the wrong question. What do we need to do? It feels like it needs to be works, right? Like, do I need to do something? And Jesus says, this is the work of God, that you believe in him who he has sent, Jesus. The only thing you need to do is believe. And believing is this, then trust. See, I don't believe you truly believe who Jesus is if you don't trust in his goodness. He is good. And he works all things together for good for those who are called according to his purposes, which is you and I who've invited Jesus into our lives. Now, if you're here and you haven't yet invited Jesus into your life, you still might be thinking, what do I need to do? Do I need to be the moral person keeping the list of do's and don'ts? Do I need to um, be the great philosopher that understanding culture and education and if I can just think a certain way and if I can just grab a hold of these philosophies, then that's what I must need to do. And Jesus is saying, no, 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 no. The only thing you need to do is believe. Believe that I came from heaven to earth to live as a man, fully God, fully man, but as a man went to the cross to take care of our sin, our guilt, our shame, to give us an opportunity to be in right relationship with our Father. That not only was he crucified, and not only did he die, he literally died as a human being. He was buried, and three days later, he rose from the grave conquering sin and death, giving us the assurance of everlasting life. And can I have an amen on that one? Yeah, you can clap for that. Jesus, thank you. Thank you. But I wonder if that's why in 2 Corinthians tells us this, 2 Corinthians 4.18, now fix your eyes, don't fix your eyes on what is seen, but fix it on the unseen. I think that's the thing that's pressing on me right now is we have to be fixing our eyes not on the seen, but on the unseen. 2 Corinthians 5, a little bit later, verse 7 says, that we need to walk by faith and not by sight. That, That we have to be able to see and hear what the Father is doing in heaven, yes, but then we have to have this level of growth and maturity as we're walking by faith. That we have to be able to perceive what is going on in our world around us. It is interesting that 
Franklin Graham, I'm not too sure why he said that in that video of the Operation Christmas Child. He says, he says, this might be the very most important year yet for all these kids to come to the Lord. Nobody knows the, t the hour or the time of his return, but, but I would, I would ha happen to say that if we're spiritually attuned, the time is getting short. The time is getting near. And we must have eyes that are open spiritually. Not only just living in the natural world, but living in our spiritual world, in our supernatural world. So, to sum up what I just said. Don't look just at the natural. Begin to have your spiritual eyes and ears attuned. That we need to be thankful for what we do have and that opens the opportunity for a miracle. Give thanks for what you have. And then it's okay to say no to people's expectations because you can be run ragged just trying to people please, but you need to listen to what God has asked you to do and be okay to say no just because somebody else has asked that of you. And then when we struggle, know that, that we need to invite Jesus into the middle of the struggle, into the boat of our struggle, and let him do a miracle. And then finally, understanding that when Jesus says, eat his body, drink his blood, I think he's telling us that the most satisfying thing in life is to invite Jesus into your life. And he will satisfy your soul. You know, I bet if there was a sign on your most enjoyable restaurant that says free fruit and drink, it would be packed, right? And yet God is offering, God is offering, sorry, just talk to me. She's, she's listening to the message too. Uh, <laughs> she needs it, yes. <laughs> but he's offering us this free gift this free gift of not only salvation, but that he will walk with us and satisfy the deepest longings of our soul. Thank you so much for watching us online. We're so glad that you joined us. We trust that Jesus has spoken to your heart and you've been challenged by his word. If you'd like to know more information about Grace Capital Church, please visit us at gccnh.com. We'll see you next time.